I want to invite you guys to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Um, Chapter 11 will be our sermon text for tonight. If you guys have been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we are walking our way through, and we've come to the final week of walking our way through these signs from John's Gospel. So into the Lenten season, as well as through Easter season, we have been taking a look at these seven particular miracle stories They're not just miracle stories. They're things that Jesus does that are intended to be signs that point us to something about his identity in order that we might believe in him, find life in his name, as John tells us at the end of his gospel story. And tonight, we are at our final sign. It is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I want to tell you something funny just as you make your way there. Um, This afternoon, or really this morning, about 10, 10.30, so my normal Sunday routine is um, I've kind of completed my work week on Thursday. I take Friday off and Saturday off because Sundays are a little bit of a long day for me. But about 10, 10 10.30, 11 on Sunday morning, I sort of begin to get back out the sermon notes to try to get my mind around what it is I'm supposed to preach. And this morning... Um, our daughter, Millie, who's four, she came up to me in our room, and um, she had her Jesus Storybook Bible in her hand, and she came up to me, and she said, Daddy, um, what are you doing? Are you doing something for church? I said, yes, baby, I'm just looking over my notes because I have to preach to the people. And she said, well, do you want to read this with me? Because that might give you the energy you need. (laughs) I think it did. It worked. I just thought that was a good story. So we're, as is our custom, I'm going to read from the Old Testament as well, from Ezekiel chapter 37, if you just want to listen carefully to all of these words from God's word tonight. Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophet Ezekiel, he writes, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Then from the gospel of John chapter 11, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She had said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to, said to them, unbind him and let him go. And then finally from John 20, 
Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, that is that by the power of your spirit, you would shine light on these words in your word. Lord, you would shine light on the words that I prepared. And Lord, that you would illuminate and shine light into the darkness, Lord, inside of our hearts. And use these words to give us a great hope. Our Lord Jesus, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it was a crazy and intense time in history. There was massive cultural upheaval, massive political upheaval. People were beginning to be divided over things like politics every time you turned around. It was a time of great warfare and violence and strife. Wars were breaking out literally, literally all over the place. There were plagues and sicknesses. There was massive technological advancements that were confusing people, and they weren't quite sure how to live. And in particular, there was a group of pastors who were concerned, in particular, for the young people in their churches. Now, I'm obviously talking about roughly 1560 to 1570 in Germany. And a group of pastors got together because they're concerned that the young people in their church are beginning to live more from fear about everything around them than from faith. So a group of pastors got together with the mission, how can we begin to teach? How can we teach and train the young people in our church to think about their lives differently? So they decided to come up with a catechism that Christians could learn the questions and answers to in order to help them learn more about how to respond to their fears with faith. They came up with a catechism. These group of pastors met in a town called Heidelberg. And here's the first question of their catechism. Listen to how it reads. It says, what, Christian, is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer to be memorized. that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on to finally answer by saying, and because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. that I'm not my own, but I belong in body and in soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I think that's a particularly good way to introduce John chapter 11. This sign, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, is intended to help you and I see not what, but who, but who is our comfort in life and in death. If I can go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, it's Jesus, as plainly as I can tell it to you. It's Jesus. Now, as we've walked through these signs, we've asked three questions. What did Jesus do? What did it mean? And what does it have to do with you and me? But those three questions won't work for this text because this text is organized differently. The other signs, Jesus does a miracle and then something happens to explain the miracle. In this case, the the explanation comes first and then the miracle comes second. So here's the three questions I want us to ask tonight as we make our way through this first question we're going to answer. This is your outline in advance. First question we're going to answer is what exactly is Jesus talking about? The second question I want us to answer is in this story, what is Jesus feeling emotionally? And then third, in this passage, what does Jesus do? So what's Jesus talking about? What is Jesus feeling? And what does Jesus do? And as we make our way through these three questions, you're going to see, I hope it comes together for you, this really simple main idea. This is the main thing I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else I say, this is what I want you to hear. That our hope in life and death is not an abstract idea. Our hope in life and death is a person. And that person's name is Jesus who has taken it all on for you and for me. So let's take a look. What is Jesus talking about? Let's take a look at the conversation that he first has with Martha. Look with me at verse 20 of chapter 11. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. When the conversation first begins, Martha comes out to Jesus and she's dealing with the pain and the sorrow and the grief of death. Her brother, her loved one, Lazarus, has died and and she's coming to Jesus It's interesting here because is she blaming Jesus? Jesus, if you'd have come, he wouldn't have died. Is it that tone of voice? Is she simply just struggling? Her brother's died. And she sees Jesus and she comes to him with whatever struggles she's experiencing and she brings those things to him. Or is it something else that we don't know? What's interesting is that the whole thing is soaked, of course, in faith because she's coming to him in the first place. 
See, in the midst of our pain and our difficulty and our sorrow, to bring those things honestly before God and to look to Christ in particular, to look to him, to look to his promises with our struggle and with our whatever it is inside of us, when we look to him, that's what the Bible would call faith. See, there's a way in pain and sorrow that we can be resentful and bitter and self-absorbed and deal with it on our own. And the Bible does not encourage us to live that way. But the Bible everywhere, everywhere will encourage us to take those things and bring them to Jesus. And that is what we see Martha doing. And even so, at the end of this little section, she even says, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God. She's exercising faith here. What's interesting is the whole emotional exchange does not shake Jesus whatsoever. Look at Jesus' words in verse 23. Jesus said to her, not, woman, get it together. He doesn't respond with anger or frustration. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Look what Martha says back in verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection in the last day. See here, Martha is articulating kind of a classic Jewish understanding of the end of all things. That one day when God was ready, he would, by miraculous power, resurrect all the dead. All the faithful would be raised. They'd be given new bodies to enjoy God's kingdom rule forever. So Martha is articulating a good biblical Old Testament theological perspective here. Yes, I know he'll rise. On the last day, I know he'll rise. But Jesus is claiming something different here. He's talking about something different. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he lives. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What Jesus is saying here, he's claiming, okay? And you have to understand what he's claiming. He's claiming that knowing him, being united to him, being in relationship with him, completely and utterly changes entirely, wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, how we understand life and death. To know Jesus, to be united to him, to be connected to him, completely upside down. It turns upside down our conception of life and death. Let me explain. So you and I live in 2022, which means by nature, we don't even know we're this, but we're kind of modern people. And as modern people, we tend to think completely and utterly scientifically about things like life and death. So for example, because of modern technology, we think we can avoid death. We think we can at least delay it as long as possible. And and sometimes we're right about that. But a modern understanding of life and death is really kind of simple. When the heart is beating, a person's alive. When the heart stops beating, a person's dead. When a person's breathing, they're alive. When they stop breathing, they're dead. It's clean, it's simple, it's dead one minute, alive the next, or the other way around. It's simple. But see, a biblical understanding, a Christian understanding of life and death is not that way. 
You've heard me explain this before, but in the Bible, life and death exist on something of a spectrum. In other words, we can be moving toward life. When we're enjoying God, his presence, obeying him, we're moving and becoming more and more and more alive. And when we're not living in God's presence, when we're disobeying him or not enjoying him, we can become more and more and more and more dead. This is why you hear the psalmist say things like, I felt like I was going down to death. That's what they're talking about. They were walking that path. So in other words, in a Christian understanding, a person can be alive even though they're dead. It's like someone in your life that you know who's gone to the land of death, who's died. If they are in Christ, the Bible teaches that they are now alive and more alive than we could possibly imagine. In the same way, in a Christian understanding, someone can be dead even though they're alive. As an example, when you and I sin, we are walking in the land of death. Repentance starts to make us more alive. Sometimes we walk in here, and I see it in your eyes, kind of dead. I mean, some of you might have said, if somebody said, how are you doing? You might have said, man, I'm just feeling kind of like, dead, and you probably meant physically tired. But sometimes we can walk in this room feeling a little deeply dead on the inside, can't we? See, the promise of God's word being preached that the spirit travels in order to help make us freshly alive again. That's why coming on a Sunday to be refreshed in the hope of the gospel is not a a thing you really are supposed to kind of opt out of if you're too busy. You need resurrection life breathed back into your lungs regularly. What Jesus is saying here is if you are connected to me, you have life. What Jesus is saying here is that the eternal life, the life in the age to come that I promise you, if you know me, if you're united to me, you get to enjoy that life now. What Jesus is saying here, and don't miss it, is our hope in life and death is not an idea. It's a person, and that person is Jesus who has taken it all on, that you and I are united to him. That's what he's saying. Second question, what is Jesus feeling? You know, guys, it's actually not very often in the gospel stories that we get a glimpse into the emotional inner life of Jesus. It actually doesn't happen as often as you might think. It happens a few times in critical moments. For example, when he's in the garden, before he's going to go to the cross, we're told that he weeps and he's sweating with deeply emotionally disturbed because of the overwhelming thought of what he's going to have to do in a matter of hours. We see his emotional life there and we see him in that place of turmoil yield his will to his father's. 
Another example of when we see Jesus' kind of inner life, when he marches into Jerusalem in the final week of his life and, and, and they, don't, they don't recognize him. And we're told that he weeps tears of disappointment saying, I wanted to gather you up like a mother hen does, but you didn't listen. But a, a major place that we see Jesus' inner life, especially in the Gospel of John, is here in this passage. And it helps us remember that Christianity is not an abstract philosophy that is somehow divorced from the really painful things of human life. Okay, one of the great gifts of being a Christian, this is Martin Luther, is being a Christian allows you to call a thing what it is. So let's look at the exchange that Jesus has with Mary here. Verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had not been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In some ways, it's a redo of what Martha said. She's coming out. She's bringing her pain and her sorrow and her struggle to Jesus. She's exercising faith here. And listen to how Jesus responds. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. Now this phrase, Jesus being deeply moved in his spirit, it's unusual phrase and it's a really strong phrase and it's some combination of the following things. It has a note of anger. Jesus is angry at what is happening here. Now remember, it's Jesus, the one who never sinned, so it's a righteous indignation, a righteous anger. He sees death and he sees the pain it's caused and he is frustrated about that. See, anger is the response we have inside of us. When we see something that's not the way it's supposed to be, that's when we get angry. And we see Jesus doing this. He sees something that's not what it's supposed to be. And he does the thing a human being living in the emotions of their life in a pure and holy way does in the face of something not being right. He gets angry. Now the word, he's deeply moved, has a note of anger. It has a note of righteous anger, frustration. It also has a note of sadness. He sees the death of someone that he loves and he's deeply sad. Remember, a human being in the face of pain and sorrow is supposed to be sad. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to react. It's right to do so. It has a note of compassion. It has a note of grief. It has a note of just a depth of love. It has a note of him just being kind of overwhelmed and shaken by what he's dealing with. If you need any more to help you understand what Jesus is feeling, just think about what you felt. in those moments when you faced death. 
That's what he was feeling. And the precious truth of this passage is that Jesus, as a human person, just completely enters into this picture fully. So I just want to remind you tonight, if you have been there, and I think you know what I mean when I say there, if you have been there, I just want you to hear me say that you, in that place, are in the best company because you are in the company of the Lord Jesus himself. He knows that experience. What is Jesus feeling? He's feeling the full weight of human emotion here. And John wants us to see that our hope in life and death is a person. His name is Jesus, who has taken it all on, and you and I are united to him, and he offers us his presence in painful places. But that's not all. Here's our third question. Okay, I get that Jesus is trying to help us see that life and death are not what we think they are. I know that Jesus is trying to get us to see that if we're united with him, we have life. I get it. I know that Jesus is feeling the weight of human experience. I know that. But what is Jesus going to do about all those things? So what does Jesus do? Our third question. And to put it to you plainly, In the face of death, he simply triumphs over it. He defeats it. See, it's one thing in these sign miracles for Jesus to speak, to heal. It is another thing entirely for him to speak and to resurrect. And the scriptures teach that if you're here today and you know Christ, that this is what has happened to you. You were dead in your sin and in your trespasses, and at some point you heard the word of the gospel, and you were resurrected to life. And that's what we see Jesus do with Lazarus. He tells them to roll away the stone. We see that in verse 39. They tell him, I don't think you want us to do that. And he says, in effect, I do. And then he prays a prayer to his father. And then in verse 43, he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, and this is great, you're going to need to unbind him and let him go. A preacher of another generation was famous for saying that when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, he had to get specific because had he not said Lazarus, everyone would have had to come. But when Jesus triumphs and defeats death in this moment, and when he triumphs and defeats death in the moments that will follow, from this point forward, he will be marching his way to the cross. And he will die on the cross. And when he does, the Bible says that he defeats the power of evil and sin and Satan. 
He dies an atoning death for you and for me, and then he lays in a tomb dead, like really, really dead. Then he walks out of the tomb as the Lord of the world. And the scriptures teach us when he does this thing and all those things. The scriptures teach us that he defeats death, and in doing so, you and I don't have to be afraid of it. Some of us live with a deep fear of death, and it's, it's normal to, to fear that. But the scriptures teach that Jesus has defeated it and removed its sting. So you don't have to be afraid. Secondly, when Jesus defeats death, he reminds us that death is never final. I heard news today of someone who was very, very, very influential in my life, pastorally, ministerially speaking, passed away yesterday. And I couldn't help but thinking that it's not the final word on his life. He's alive. Death's not final. What John wants us to see is that our hope in life and in death, your hope in life and in death, your hope in life and in death, your hope in life and death, your hope in life and in death is not an idea of something called hope. Your hope in life and in death is a person named Jesus who you've been united to, who offers you his presence in painful places and has triumphed still over it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this hope would be like an anchor, Lord, that would keep us and hold us in the painful things that we experience in this life. Lord, I pray that our union with you would be a source of great joy for us, great strength for us. Lord, I pray that your presence in painful places would be a source of great comfort for us. Lord, I pray that your defeat of death and hell God, that it would be a great source that gives us real living resurrection hope. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.